Will you turn with me to John chapter 7? That's found on page 984 of the Black Church Bibles. After this, Jesus travelled in Galilee, since he did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. The Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, so his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea so your disciples can see your works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus told them, My time has not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me because I testify about it, that its deeds are evil. Go up to the festival yourselves. I'm not going up to the festival yet because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said these things, he stayed in Galilee. After his brothers had gone up to the festival, then he also went up, not openly, but secretly. The Jews were looking for him at the festival and saying, where is he? And there was a lot of discussion about him among the crowds. Some were saying, he's a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he's deceiving the people. Still, nobody was talking publicly about him because they feared the Jews. When the festival was already half over, Jesus went up into the temple complex and began to teach. Then the Jews were amazed and said, how does he know the scriptures since he hasn't been trained? Jesus answered them, my teaching isn't mine, but is from the one who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he will understand whether the teaching is from God or if I'm speaking on my own. The one who speaks for himself seeks his own glory but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Didn't Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you want to kill me? You have a demon, the crowd responded. Who wants to kill you? I did one work, and you are all amazed, Jesus answered. Consider this, Moses has given you circumcision, not that it comes from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses won't be broken, are you angry at me because I made a man entirely well on the Sabbath? Stop judging according to outward appearances, rather judge according to the righteous judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, isn't this the man they want to kill? Yet look, he's speaking publicly and they're saying nothing to him. Can it be true that the authorities know how he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, nobody will know where he is from. As, was teaching in the temple as he was teaching in the temple complex, Jesus cried out, You know me, and you know where I am from. Yet I have not come on my own, but the one who sent me is true. You don't know him. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. Then they tried to seize him, yet no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. However, many from the crowd believed in him and said, when the Messiah comes, he won't perform more signs than this man has done, will he? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. So the chief priests 
and the Pharisees sent the temple police to arrest him. Then Jesus said, I am only with you for a short time. Then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Then the Jews said to one another, Where does he intend to go so we won't find him? He doesn't intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, does he? What is this remark he made? You will look for me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been received because Jesus had not yet been glorified. When some from the crowd heard these words, they said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Messiah. But some said, Surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Doesn't the scripture say the Messiah comes from David's offspring and from the town of Bethlehem where David once lived? So a division occurred among the crowds because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the temple police came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who asked them, why haven't you brought him? The police answered, no one ever spoke like this. Then the Pharisees responded to them, are you fooled too? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd which doesn't know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, the one who came to him previously, being one of them, said to them, our law doesn't judge a man before it hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? You aren't from Galilee too, are you? They replied. Investigate and you will see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It'd be great if you could keep that open as well. Um, I've just been up in Darwin last weekend, which is a great experience. Thank you uh, for those who are praying for um, the youth mission that we ran up there. It was, it was great. Um, but Darwin is, uh, is a cruel place. I don't know if you've been there or not. It's very hot um, and it's very humid. Uh, so you sort of you have a shower, you get out, and as soon as you move at all, you begin to sweat. Um, so we played on Saturday, because we were with youth. On Saturday, we played sport with them in the sun. Uh, and they were fit, which was bad. Um, but what is really cruel is after that, we got in the cars and we, we drove off beyond, um, along the seashore. And Darwin has these beautiful beaches, right? Beautiful. Just kind of crystal clear water. And you're hot and sweaty and all you want to do is jump in. And as many of you know, you can't. It's just there kind of teasing you. Because uh, the, the water is, of course, full of sharks and crocodiles and jellyfish. Um, it's very Australian. I kind of love that. Um, but it's so cruel. The water is there, but it is entirely inaccessible. And I think that's a bit like our passage this evening. Um, Jesus talks about this water, which is so attractive, these kind of streams of living water. All we have to do to get this water is believe, Right? And yet Jesus meets with wave upon wave of unbelief, disbelief. In fact, we get the impression that 
We can't believe. This chapter could um, almost be seen as a kind of a commentary on chapter 6, verse 44 from last week, which says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And yet we're called to believe, to come, believe, and drink this living water. What are we to make of this? Uh, Well, hopefully we can talk about that a bit. Uh, Three points, as always, this evening. Firstly, streams of living water. Second, the nature of unbelief. And finally, the miracle of open eyes. Uh, So first, streams of living water. The the setting for this passage is uh, uh, early October, a couple of weeks ago, uh, and they're at a feast in Jerusalem. It's kind of party time. Uh, So this feast uh, comes at the end of harvest. There's plenty of food around, which is good. Um, And the people are kind of living in these little little tents made of branches. Uh, Think Aboriginal humpy. Um, I'm still in Darwin thinking. Um, So they're thinking at this feast, uh, they're looking back to a time when God brought his people out of Egypt and they lived in these kind of little tent type things when he rescued them from Egypt, the Exodus. But this feast also looks forward. It looks forward to another rescue, uh, to a time when God uh, will act again, return to his people and rescue them. They're looking back to the first exodus, but forward to another exodus, where God will rescue his people uh, from evil and sin and from, and from Satan. And the people were yearning for this, really looking forward to it. They kind of wanted this, what they, this picture of salvation was like, it was like life. They wanted real, abundant life with God. Like we heard in, in chapter 4 about the woman at the well, um, they were kind of longing for this, um, kind of thirsting for this life, for, for, for peace and fulfillment and direction and purpose and, and hope and forgiveness from God. They thirsted for life with God. And again, that's our world as well, isn't it? That's us. We have this thirst. And they had this Old Testament picture of what that would look like. Uh, At the end of Ezekiel, Ezekiel gives us this picture of God returning to his people um, and bringing them life, coming into their lives and bringing forgiveness and giving them his spirit so that they could truly know him and follow him. And the way Ezekiel pictures it is is like this. It's um, God is going to be like a stream of water flowing out from the temple. And whenever, wherever the stream goes, it brings life. And so at this feast, that's what they're looking forward to. And so they have this uh, thing they did where the priest, for seven days of the feast, would get some water, go to the temple, and pour it on the altar. And it would kind of f- flow a bit. On the eighth day, that didn't happen. Um, but it's on that eighth greatest day that Jesus himself stands up in the temple and says, verse 37 and 38, If anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, 
as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. Do you kind of see what he's saying? Hooking into that picture from the Old Testament. He's saying, that's all about me. That the salvation that Ezekiel was looking forward to, that you've been yearning for, that's in me. I am God returning to his people. I, I am your rescue. I am your life. I will give the spirit of life. So come to me. Believe. Drink and live. Well, in a moment, we're going to see how the Jews actually respond to that offer. But before we go there, I want to ask you, how, how are you responding to that offer? The offer of life in Jesus, life from God. Are you believing? Well, how do the Jews respond? Now, that's our second point. Jesus makes a great offer, and their response is, yeah, kind of divided. Look with me at verse 40. Jesus has just made this great offer, and when some from the crowd heard these words, they said, oh, this really is the prophet. Others said, oh, this is the Messiah. But some said, well, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Doesn't the scripture say that the Messiah comes from David's offspring and from the town of Bethlehem where David once lived? So a division occurred among the crowd because of him. So some kind of get it right. They think, oh, yeah, this guy's the Messiah. But they don't do anything. Others are kind of get caught up in these trivial quibbles about where Jesus came from. It's all a little bit underwhelming, isn't it? It's a great announcement. Ah, it's kind of quibbling. And the Jewish leaders, they're, they're even worse. They get positively nasty. So they say that the crowd is cursed. They start paying out Nicodemus. In fact, by the end of this rambling discussion, which goes right through to the end of chapter, chapter 8, by the end of it, they're trying to stone Jesus. That's how it ends. Things are kind of actually sort of heating up in this chapter. See, in this chapter, the question of who Jesus is really starts to get a bit dramatic. So we start to get these responses of kind of wanting to kill Jesus and really getting angry. Did you notice the drama as Lyndall read it out? So we're at a feast. The local authorities want to kill Jesus. Do you see verse 11 to 13? Just setting the scene of, of this feast. The Jews are looking for Jesus at the festival and saying, where is he? And there was a lot of discussion about him among the crowds. Some were saying he's a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he's deceiving the people. Still, nobody was talking publicly about him because they feared the Jews. And this kind of discussion and division is going to keep on going. There's kind of this death and danger are kind of lurking. And in the middle of this feast, Jesus stands up and reveals himself, starts talking publicly in the temple. What's going to happen? And over and over throughout this rambling discussion, um, it's kind of punctuated by these attempts to seize him or to arrest him. And as we've said, it ends with an attempt to stone him. 
the drama's kind of building. The question of who Jesus is is getting really important. These are the responses that Jesus is getting. Real, active, um, emotional responses. Jesus comes into this world. He offers life. And the response is, well, at best, discussion. And at worst, they hate him. It's emotional, driven. They want to kill him. What he doesn't get a lot of uh, is belief. So why don't they believe in him? Why don't the crowds back then, even when they can see him, why don't they believe? Why don't people today believe in Jesus? Friends, why don't we believe in Jesus more deeply? Well, we're going to have a little look at some of the reasons why these people don't believe. Just a kind of a skim through to get an idea, see what we can learn from, from these people's responses to Jesus. I want to point out firstly the brothers. Jesus has just been up in Galilee near where he grew up, um, and he's lost a whole bunch of his followers. So he goes home. He's kind of sitting in the lounge room with his younger brothers uh, who don't believe in, you, in him, mind you. Um, and they've got a great idea for him. Have a look with me at verse 2. The Jewish festival of tabernacles was near. So his brothers said to him, Leave here, go to Judea, so that your disciples can see your works that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. If you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. Jesus, Jerusalem's going to be packed out. Go down there, do some of that crazy stuff you do, and everyone will love you. You'll be glorified. Well, how does Jesus respond? Verse 6, my time has not yet arrived. Your time's always at hand. The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me because I testify about it, that its deeds are evil. A time will come for Jesus to be glorified. That's going to happen on the cross, the most unexpected way. But at the cross, we will see God for who he is. Jesus will be glorified. The way he's going to take is nothing like their suggestion, is it? Their suggestion is just, it's kind of really worldly. You know, it's the way of um, the celebrity, the way of kind of, you know, uh, the autobiography the yacht on the harbour, the interviews on sunrise, the A-list parties, that kind of thing. That's their way. The way of, well, unbelief. Taking our worldly kind of ideas and expecting Jesus to kind of fit in. That's, that's the way of unbelief. The way they're taking, the brothers. It's like when we tell Jesus, um, I'll really believe in you when you provide a job for me or a partner, or a bit more money, or whatever it might be, then you'll really be my saviour. Or like uh, when people love to hear about Jesus' power and his um, resurrection and his self-sufficiency, because that's what they like. And when he starts speaking about his humility 
and the way he gives himself to serve the unworthy, I don't really want to hear that because then I might have to follow him. Bringing our worldly categories and bringing them to Jesus. This is the way of unbelief. The way of the brother's unbelief. Second, Jesus talks with the Jewish leaders. Um, So he stood up in the middle of this festival and he started to speak. And the leaders are kind of amazed. And they say, where did this guy get this teaching from? Where does that come from? And hear how he responds in verse 16. Jesus answered them, My teaching isn't mine, but is from the one who sent me. I'm not just speaking my own words. I'm speaking God's words. I'm not lying. I'm not mucking around. But, and here's the test, verse 17. If anyone wants to do God's will, he will understand whether the teaching is from God or if I'm speaking on my own. Unless you're actually wanting to do God's will, you won't, you won't understand, you won't get where I'm coming from, says Jesus. Uh, you know, um, people like art aficionados who, you know, they can see a painting that they've never seen before and they can, they, they'll tell you, like, I believe that's a Monet uh, uh, from his later period. You know. you know that kind of thing? They've never seen it before. But if my eyes aren't deceived, that's a Caravaggio. Um, I don't know anything about art, but I believe they're artists. Is that right? Yeah, okay, good. Um, you know, they're so familiar with the artist's work that they can recognize it. I think that's the idea here. Jesus is saying, if you're seeking God's will, if you're actually seeking to live for him, and you're getting familiar with his word and, and what God's like and what, where his heart's at, then you'll recognize me. Oh, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. I, I know what you're on about. I know who you are. So are the Jews? Are these Jewish leaders seeking God's will? Verse 19. Didn't Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you want to kill me? Killing people is not God's will. And then in the next few verses, we hear that they're not really seeking God's heart, God's will on this idea of the Sabbath. They're just, they're just looking at outward appearances. They're not really seeking God's will. And so we shouldn't be surprised that they don't recognize Jesus. It's like if they don't trust God enough to do his will... How are they going to trust God when he turns up in the flesh? Jesus. Friends, this is a big issue for us today. People who are struggling in their faith, perhaps not feeling joy, perhaps not feeling all that kind of excited about Jesus, often they're not seeking to do God's will. Well, our third example of unbelief is when Jesus talks with the Jerusalem crowd. They've just heard him talking with uh, the, the, the Jewish leaders, and some of them think, oh yeah, this guy, he might be the Messiah. Uh, but then again, 
verse 27. Have a look at verse 27. But we know, we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, nobody will know where he's from. That's just a Jewish tradition, basically. And Jesus' response to that is a little bit strange. Read with me, verse 28. He cries out, You know me, and you know where I'm from, yet I've not come on my own. But the one who sent me is true. You don't know him. I know him because I'm from him, and he sent me. I think what he's getting at is he's saying, You might know a bit about me. You might know where I'm from, but you don't know who I'm from. Much more important than where, where I came from is who I'm from, who sent me. And you don't seem to know him. You see, you can't get at Jesus and who he is if you don't know God. Uh, last year, I played soccer with a guy who was doing a history thesis about Jesus. So he knew all these facts about Jesus, and he thought he knew Jesus. But Jesus says, unless you know the one who sent me, the one I'm intimately connected with, the Father, unless you know him, you don't know me. You don't believe in me. Friends, you might know all the answers. You might go to Bible study. You might know, yes, Jesus is a good man. Yes, he was the prophet. I even know Jesus was the Messiah. But do you know him? Do you know God? I was chatting with a guy this week. Uh, it really made me sad. He's worked in churches. Um, he preaches. He leads Bible studies. He knows New Testament Greek. Doesn't seem to know God. Knows all the details. Doesn't seem to know God. This has hit me in a, in a slightly different way this week, actually. Um, see, sometimes when, when it comes to Jesus, I feel a little bit like a butterfly collector. Uh, let me tell you what I mean. You, you see, I'm not like this crowd. They're a bit confused about who Jesus is. I'm not. I know who Jesus is. I, I know the facts. I know the details. I've got him pinned down. You know, like a butterfly with a pin through it. You know, Jesus used to kind of fly around, um, Quite beautiful, actually. Um, you know, I used to kind of gaze at him. Uh, I didn't always understand him, uh, but I was amazed at Jesus. Uh, that, was, that was great. Uh, but now I've got him pinned down, um, which, of course, is very good because now I can study him. Now I know all the facts. Um, do you know where I'm going? Do you know what I'm getting at? You know, we, we can come to know all the facts about Jesus and yet forget that he's alive. You know, knowing him and believing in him actually is getting involved with a living being. It's getting involved with God. And that happens in a relationship. We get to know God as we get to know Jesus. We get to know Jesus as we get to know God. Friends, there's nothing wrong. Sorry, I need to clarify that. There's nothing wrong with studying Jesus. I love studying Jesus. But remember, he's alive. Jesus is bigger than the facts about him. Well, friends, I think there's a, there's a bit of a snapshot of unbelief in this chapter. People bring their worldly categories to Jesus. 
They're not seeking God's will. They don't know God. But I want to finish this third point by noticing a problem with this and seeing God's wonderful solution. The problem is this. How do you get on this wheel called believing in Jesus? Because you see, until you believe in Jesus, you don't have any other categories other than worldly categories. You don't have any other categories to come to Jesus with, do you? And likewise, until you believe, you don't know God. Isn't that what John's on about? The whole book is about, you know, you can only get to know God through Jesus. How can you know God until you believe in Jesus? Do you see the problem? How do you get on this wheel? How can you actually begin to do God's will until you believe in Jesus? How do you actually begin to drink these streams of living water by believing in Jesus? How do you begin? Do you see it's a little bit like Darwin? This great offer of water, but how do I get it? Do you see the problem? Again, I think it's a commentary on chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come unless the Father draws him. Well, this is a conundrum. (laughs) I know you're not meant to skip forward, but do you know what happens in chapter 9 of John? Jesus meets a blind guy, a guy who can't see, um, and he miraculously opens his eyes. Um, So the guy can actually physically see, but also the guy begins to see who Jesus is. That's what we need. Friends, that's what all of us need. That's what our world needs. We need a miracle that we can actually begin to see Jesus and believe him. If you are here this evening trusting in Jesus, a miracle has happened in your life. Some of you might be here this evening and you're beginning to think, this Jesus really is someone significant. Friends, a miracle is beginning to happen in your life. The Spirit is at work, opening eyes. Sometimes he gets people's eyes and he wrenches them open. You know, kind of like being woken up by a bucket of cold water over the head. Other people um, have their eyes open very, very slowly over years, kind of like how I'm hoping to wake up tomorrow morning. But friends, it's a miraculous work to find yourself suddenly looking at Jesus and thinking, not just good man, not just um, prophet, Not even just Messiah, but actually thinking, my Messiah, my Savior, my Lord and my God. When you actually begin to look at Jesus and see glory, that is a miracle. A miracle has taken place. And yet, it doesn't get us off the hook. Um, It doesn't mean we have nothing to do. Jesus can still command us 
believe. So, let me finish with these three things. We can still work at listening to Jesus on his own terms. We can do our best to drop our worldly categories when we come to Jesus. And I want to encourage you, if you've been a Christian for a long time, to do that. That's what I've been trying to do this week. To come to God in his word and actually try to hear him afresh. Remember he's alive. The second thing, we can still seek to do God's will. We can, we can do what we know of it, what we read in the Bible. We can do that. And third, we can seek to know God. Through Jesus, we can read his word, get to know Jesus. We can begin to pray to him. In fact, you might want to pray, Jesus, do that miraculous work in my life so that I could see. Why would you do that? Why would you bother with these sorts of things? Well, can't put it any better than these words. If anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him.